We wrapped up our last episode with the tenth and final plague that the Lord God delivered to Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. In that tenth plague, every firstborn in every family in all of Egypt died. It was the plague that convinced Pharaoh to let God's people go out into the desert to worship Yahweh. That's where our episode begins today. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. In this episode, we'll cover the supernatural events that occurred during the 40 years the Israelites wandered in the deserts of the Middle East. Let's start with getting our geographical bearings in the land of Egypt. Do you recall when Joseph, the number two ruler in Egypt, invited his father Jacob and his entire clan to move to Egypt? Well, when they came, they settled in the land of Goshen. Goshen was to the east of the Delta region of the Nile River. Now, if you've ever seen on TV one of the My Pillow Guys Giza Dream Sheets commercials, you'll know just where the Israelites lived. The cotton for Giza Dream Sheets is said to come from the Nile Delta. Just east of there was the land of Goshen. We're told in Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The main road out of Egypt was parallel to the Mediterranean Sea. It was the shortest way to the land of Canaan the land that had been promised to Abraham 500 years earlier. But that's not the way the Lord led them. Rather, he led them toward the Red Sea. The Red Sea is a long, narrow stretch of ocean that separates Egypt from what today is Saudi Arabia. The southern part of the Red Sea flows into the Arabian Sea at what's known as the Horn of Africa located in the northeast part of the African continent. The northern part of the Red Sea has what looks like two fingers of a hand, as though the Red Sea is making a peace symbol. And if you don't know what a peace symbol is, talk to somebody who grew up in the 1960s and 70s. The finger of water on the left, on the west side, is called the Gulf of Suez. The one on the right is called the Gulf of Aqaba. In between the two gulfs is a large triangular piece of desert real estate known as the Sinai Peninsula. By the way, at the very northern tip of the Gulf of Suez, you will find today one end of the Suez Canal, which connects the Red Sea with the Mediterranean Sea. The canal was completed in 1869 and was considered an engineering marvel in its day. Back to the story. The Lord God led the Israelites out of the land of Goshen, made a slight turn to the right, 
and headed southeast toward the Gulf of Suez. The Israelites' first stop was Succoth, then Etham, which was located on the edge of the Sinai Desert. It is at this point that we learn of the supernatural way that the Lord God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. <laughs> and we think headlamps on planes, trains, and automobiles are a great invention. The Lord God does things bigger and better. What happened next was the setup for the Lord God's next supernatural event. The Lord told Moses to do some backtracking. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, the Lord said, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Pharaoh and his leadership team soon realized that the Israelites hadn't just gone into the desert to worship their God for a couple of days. They were leaving for good. It would obviously be a mistake to let their slave labor skip town. So Pharaoh ordered that 600 of his best chariots and horsemen get ready to ride. They pursued the Israelites and caught up to them as they camped by the sea. When the people saw Pharaoh's army of chariots, they started to whine and complain, fearing that they were about to die in the desert. The supernatural event that happened next is sometimes overlooked. I know that because I have overlooked it in the past. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Here we learn that it wasn't Moses who was leading the people of Israel. It was the angel of God, who was Yahweh himself. And then both the angel of God and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of the people to behind the people, to be a buffer between the Israelites and the Egyptian army. And isn't it amazing that on one side of the pillar of cloud there was light, and on the other side was darkness? Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When the Egyptians decided to end their pursuit, Moses stretched out his hand once again over the water, and the water flowed back to its natural place. The water covered the soldiers and the chariots. 
there were no Egyptian survivors. Through this supernatural event, the Israelites safely crossed out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and into the Sinai Peninsula. Did you know that the English phrase Red Sea actually means in Hebrew, reed sea, or sea of reeds? The Hebrew phrase is Yam Suf. So that raises an interesting question. Did the Israelites cross what we know as the Red Sea, or was it another body of water? Perhaps a marshy area filled with reeds or papyrus plants. Theologians who deny the miracles of the Bible want to claim that the Israelites crossed a shallow marsh, not the Red Sea, meaning no supernatural event. So, which is it? The phrase Yam Suf occurs 23 times in the Old Testament by my count. Suf is a Hebrew word for reed. Yam is a Hebrew word that means a large body of water that can be either fresh water or salt water. Regardless of the way the words Yam Suf are translated, the Bible is clear that God supernaturally parted a large body of water so the Israelites could cross on dry land. And when the Egyptian army attempted to follow, he totally destroyed them in an overwhelming flood of water. Doesn't sound like a marsh to me. But one of the most compelling reasons for understanding the phrase Yam Suf as the actual Red Sea and not some marsh area is found in 1 Kings chapter 9. We're told there that King Solomon also built ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Elath in Edom, on the shore of the Red Sea, on the shore of Yam Suf. And Hiram, Hiram was the king of Phoenicia, sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. So Solomon's fleet of ships was stationed at the northern point of the Gulf of Aqaba, the right finger of water. Solomon's ships sailed the Yam Suf, the Red Sea. With Egypt in their rearview mirror, the Israelites could now begin their journey to the land of Canaan, their final destination. However, it would take 40 years to do so due to their lack of trust in the power and promises of the Lord God along the way. In those 40 years, the Israelites would experience 20 more supernatural events where the Lord God stepped directly into their world. Some of these events involved providing food and water. Others were the result of the Israelites' constant complaining. Some were the results of people challenging Moses as God's appointed ruler. And others we'll just have to put in a miscellaneous bucket. After crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites entered the Sinai Peninsula and the desert of Shur. God was leading them to Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. This would have been a distance, a ballpark estimate of about 200 miles. The Israelites traveled southeast, paralleling the eastern shore of the Gulf of Suez. As I'm sure you are well aware of, when traveling through a desert, there are two major challenges that people and animals face, food and water. About halfway to Sinai, the Israelites ran out of water. They found water at a place called Mara, but it was undrinkable. It was bitter. So Moses inquired of the Lord what to do. 
the Lord showed him a piece of wood, which he then tossed into the water, and it became sweet and suitable to drink. Another supernatural gift from God. From Marah, the Israelites traveled to an oasis at Elam. At this oasis, there were twelve springs that provided plenty of water naturally. From Elam, the Israelites set out into the desert of Sin. There they experienced another challenge, dwindling food supplies. So the Lord stepped into their world again and provided manna in the morning and quail in the evening. The manna appeared each morning, except for the Sabbath day, the day of rest. It appeared on the ground and was always accompanied with the morning dew. The day before the Sabbath, the Israelites were to gather a double portion so that they would have food on the Sabbath. Manna was a type of bread. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. The manna in the morning and the flocks of quail in the evening were supernatural events that repeated every day for 40 years. That's more than 36,000 days in a row that the Israelites had food to eat in the morning and in the evening. There's another supernatural event involving the manna. The Lord told Moses to take a omer, a unit of measure that's a little more than a half a gallon, an omer of manna and put it in a gold jar and keep the jar as a testimony of how the Lord had provided for his people in the desert. Once the Ark of the Covenant was built, the jar of manna was stored inside of it. The miracle here is that the manna never spoiled over hundreds of years. From the desert of Sin, the Israelites continued traveling south-southeast, stopping at two places, Dafka and Alush. Then they arrived at a place called Rephidim, which was very close to Mount Sinai. But again, the people ran out of water. And again, they whined and complained. The Lord told Moses to take his staff, take some of the elders of the people, and walk to a rock at Mount Horeb. The Lord directed Moses to strike the rock, and when he did, water came gushing out of it. Moses called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? While the Israelites were camped at Rephidim, a nomadic tribe called the Amalekites attacked the Israelites. The Amalekites were the descendants of Amalek, who was a grandson of Esau, Jacob's brother. When Joshua would one day lead the Israelites into the Promised Land, the Lord told him to wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. And the reason? It was because of how they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The book of Deuteronomy tells us, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? When you were weary and worn out? They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. The Amalekites were cowards, attacking the most vulnerable people who were lagging behind. Now, Moses directed Joshua to lead the battle against the Amalekites. Moses and his brother Aaron and Hur, who, who seemed to be one of Israel's leaders, although not much is said about him, all three of them went up on a hill. 
Moses raised his staff into the air, and as long as he had his hands holding the staff raised into the air, the Israelite army would start winning the battle. When Moses became tired, it was Aaron and Hur who helped hold up his hands until the Amalekites were defeated. It was a remarkable victory over the Amalekites, another example of the Lord stepping into the world of his people. After defeating the Amalekites, the Israelites broke camp and headed to the desert of Sinai. At the base of the mountain, they set up camp. The day they arrived at Sinai was exactly three months from the day they left Egypt. Recall that on this mountain, Moses had experienced the burning bush that didn't burn up. The Lord had told Moses that he would be back one day with his people. And here they were. The rest of the book of Exodus details the events and outcomes that occurred at Mount Sinai. At Sinai, God made his presence known in several different ways. He came down onto the mountain, miraculously, in a dense cloud with fire and thunder and lightning. The Lord spoke directly to Moses on the mountain. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments as well as the laws that would govern Israel as a nation, that would govern their worship life, and laws to govern their moral life, of which the Ten Commandments were a summary. Moses also received, in great detail, the blueprints for the construction of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. The Lord also revealed himself to Moses that left Moses with a radiant face as he came down the mountain the final time. Everything about what happened at Mount Sinai involved the supernatural work of God. If you want to learn more about the events that occurred at Mount Sinai, I have a podcast episode entitled Mountains, Part 1. It's part of my podcast series called Storylines. We move to the book of Leviticus, where we find two supernatural events mentioned. One involved Moses and Aaron offering sacrifices to the Lord. As those sacrifices were burning on the altar, Moses and Aaron stood in front of the tabernacle and blessed the people. But all of a sudden, the Lord sent fire out of the tabernacle and consumed the sacrifices completely. Through the fire, the Lord revealed his glory to all the people. The people responded with shouts of joy and fell to their knees. But their joy was short-lived. That's because Aaron's two oldest sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered what the Bible tells us is unauthorized fire before the Lord. We don't know what exactly that unauthorized fire was, but we get a clue from Moses' explanation that by their actions, Nadab and Abihu did not honor the Lord. Their actions cost them their lives. Fire again came out from the presence of the Lord. It consumed the brothers, and they died. The book of Numbers chronicles nine supernatural events that occurred after the Israelites left Sinai, but before they arrived at the doorstep of the Promised Land. And you'll note a couple of themes here. One is the continual whining and complaining of the Israelites. Another one is the multiple rebellions against Moses, God's appointed leader. In Numbers 11, we read that the Israelites complained about their hardships. Now get this. This occurred just three days after they left Mount Sinai. So the Lord sent fire to burn on the outskirts of the camp. 
There was no loss of life, but it was a reminder that the Lord, who provided for their needs, didn't want to hear them complaining. There's a lesson to be learned for us, don't you think? In chapter 12, we read about Aaron and his sister Miriam. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. The result of this rebellious talk was that Miriam was afflicted with leprosy. Moses prayed for healing, and Miriam was miraculously healed seven days later. In chapter 16, we learn of more rebellion against Moses, whom the book of Numbers describes as the most humble man in the world. This rebellion was led by three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Along with these three, there were 250 community leaders who also opposed Moses. Long story short, the Lord sent a strong message about those who rebel against his chosen leaders, because in reality, they were rebelling against the Lord himself. The ground opened up and swallowed up Korah's family, Dathan's family, and Abiram's family. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed the 250 community leaders who had opposed Moses. Then the Lord sent a plague throughout the Israelite camp, and 14,700 people died. In the next chapter, the Lord reaffirmed his leaders before his people. It's an interesting event of supernatural proportions. The Lord directed Moses to get 12 staffs, one from each of the 12 tribes. On the staff of Levi, the Lord directed Moses to write the name of Aaron. Then Moses placed the twelve staffs in the innermost part of the tabernacle, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The next day, Moses went back into the tabernacle and brought, brought out all the twelve staffs. What the people saw amazed them and filled them with fear. The staff with Aaron's name on it, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted budded, blossomed, and had produced almonds overnight. This event affirmed Aaron as God's leader and as the high priest. Toward the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, there were three final supernatural events. One involved Moses and finding water again. The people were once again whining and complaining. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses dishonored the Lord by striking the rock instead of speaking to it. 
it cost him his ticket to the promised land. As they continued their journey, they were denied safe passage through the country of Edom, which was located directly south of the Dead Sea. So they had to go around it. The result was that the people grew impatient and once again started whining and complaining. So the Lord sent venomous snakes into the camp, and many people died. When the people recognized that they had sinned, they asked Moses to intercede. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and told the people to look at the snake on the pole, and they would live. And they did. The final supernatural event during the 40 years in the wilderness involved Balak, the king of Moab, Balaam, who was a wicked prophet, and a talking donkey. If you want to learn the details of this supernatural event, check out another episode in my Storyline podcast series. The episode is called, guess what, Donkeys. There you have it. During the 40 years of the Israelites wandering the deserts of the Middle East, the Lord himself stepped into the world of his Old Testament people and performed many supernatural events. In our next episode, we will continue our our journey through the Old Testament as the Israelites entered the Promised Land. If you have any questions about this podcast or comments, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.